We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Gator Nation Football Podcast with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DiVirgilio. This place is an insane asylum in the swamp! Oh, my! Now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs. Scared money don't make money, you know? Welcome back, everyone, to the Gator Nation Football Podcast. I'm Alan Williams. Of course, I'm here with James DiVirgilio. Fun little announcement for you guys here in a minute, but this is our traditional SEC Media Days podcast. We like to hear what other people are talking about, chime in ourselves, have a little fun over the summer. James, how are you doing there in the Gainesville humidity? I'm doing great. The real question is, how are you doing? Alan spent many weeks at Lake Tahoe, so he was escaping what most of us Floridians here <laughs> yeah. were suffering through. We know a lot of you are listening all over the country and the world, so it could be different where you are, but obviously in Florida, places like Texas... Arizona have been exceptionally hot, uh, no different this summer for us, and Alan is now back in the thick of the heat. Yeah, out there for work for six weeks, and coming back, I was loading up our bags into our van at 12.30 in the morning and just sweating my butt off. I was like, oh, this is a good welcome back to Florida moment here. But I love our state. I'm not going to complain about it too much. But here we are in July. Yeah, it's a little warm, but... After SEC media days, that means the season is very, very close. It does. The heat does mean that football season is close upon us. So that is the good news there. As always, if you like this content, follow us on social media, sub to our YouTube channel for film breakdowns, and become a patron on Patreon where you too can drop us a dono. As always, shout out to our illustrious assistants, helpers, creators, B-Red and Carly the Commissioner. They're about to get ramped up as we head into August with their respective jobs here at the pod. And as always, the GNFP Sammy and GNFP Java Discord channels keeping you interested in the offseason, filled with all sorts of tidbits, perhaps sometimes discussions or differences of opinion on whether or not the Gators are going to be one way or the other. That is the definition of talking season on a messaging app. Last but not least, Alan, we have the merch. <laughs> it's it's been here. A, it's been a long time in coming. It's here. It's here. It's here. You can find it anywhere today on this podcast episode in the link description you will find our link to merch in our store you can shop to your heart's content send us any feedback you have there's an item there that you don't see that you'd like to have let us know of course we cannot create all the items so there might be something that's just not possible but certainly email us with a design or style or something you might want to see and we will see if we can create that for you 
So check out our merch. We're excited about it. We hope you are too. And our patrons have had a week to preview it. So they've already had a chance to buy some and kind of get ahead of the curve a little bit as a special thank you to them for supporting the show. All right, Alan, we have had some donos in the time that we were off, Let's which go. we're always thankful for. We've had some level ups, three level ups from Andrew Newman, Ryan McCann, and the illustrious himself, Dr. Jugglesworth, MD. Which I really want that to be a real name. I want, <laughs> I want, I want Doctor Jugglesworth to write back to us and say, "This is my real Stop name." Stop making fun of me. That's my real name, um, and uh, I hope that's true because that would be the greatest doctor name ever. I don't like know if I would episode. go to Doctor Jugglesworth, but I would appreciate the fact that he's out there. Yeah, and also Ryan McCann. I'm super good friends uh, with his brother-in-law, Ryan, and his sister, of course, Susanna. So shout out to him as well. All right, sitting on the throne is still James Ridge. For a while, we thought maybe James Ridge was on a permanent vacation, but he has been back. He's been busy with work. It's his busy season. He has been giving us inside information on the GNFB Sammy thread, and he is still reigning on the throne. He is trying to become the modern-day Alexander Leventhal. Wow. He's had a long reign now, and his reign has continued. We'll see Should what happens. Should have kept track of, like, lengths of reign at some point. Right, into the fall. We can do that. That can happen. All right, Alan, read off our Dono legends. Let's start with Barry Jenkins. Guy Tumbleson, Cooper and Kylie Craig, Jason Walker, The Big Homie, Lil Payton, Constantine, Double O, Alexander Leventhal, Diego Rivera, Bill Hood, James Newton, Nathan Jeter, Stashmi, Bob Boucher, Frank Marcellisi, Mike Wechter, Tim Kaine, Nicholas Isaac, Mike, Mark Jackson, Tim Honderick, James Truitt, Gus O'Leary, Brad Wilson, Mark Mitchell, Chris Folsom, Dr. Matthew Galloway, Jamie Galliano, uh, Aaron Jeter, Jason Landry, Michael Reeves, Jason Johnson, Zach Sparks, Mark Rubenstein, Tyler Romery, Craig Scarado, Alan Horn, Sydney Singleton, and Kristen Moody. Okay. It was last week, the SEC Media Days. And, you know, if you're unfamiliar, it's where coaches and a, a few players from each team get up and are interviewed. Like, you know, just a big media fest. And other conferences do this, but really the SEC one is the one that matters. That's the one everyone pays attention to. Usually has a, little, a few chaotic moments, a few fun moments. Um, yeah, you know, as you said, talking season. You know, it's a fun thing, but it kind of really, for me, as I said, illustrates that this is the start of football season. It's kind of the first little peek into that window. But I'm interested from you, any like big takeaways from SEC Media Days? Well, I think first we have to mention that that, that Mike Leach, obviously not yeah. being there, is he will be missed. He was a guy who influenced my own football strategy significantly with with his air raid system and just a, a colorful character and a great guy for college football who, of course, untimely passed away last season. Uh, and he famously had a seven-word prepared statement last yeah. year. He was sort of the, the leader in the clubhouse by far for the shortest statement and uh, just a just a great guy. So I think you know he was missed there. Outside sure. of outside of that, I think in general, my biggest takeaway is that the coaches are, are although still frosty and frustrated, much like I am with NIL, they are much more used to it now. There's a handle on how it works, and there's also a hierarchy emerging, which Lane Kiffin alludes to in his comments. But people are starting to figure out what it looks like significantly more so than in the past while also recognizing it is not a system that is sustainable and it's not going to work in the long run. But there is a level of the known now. And I think that is probably what stuck with me the most, which therefore made the rest of these kind of question and answer segments more normal 
Yeah. A lot of coach speak, a lot of like, how's your defense and offense and why you hire this guy? Speak. And so that was more normal than maybe the Wild West-ish feeling it's had in the past couple of years with like, what's happening? What are you doing? What are we doing? What's the world doing? So there's, there was more of that. Yeah, a little bit of resignation that we have to deal with this for the foreseeable future. You see some comments here and there about people kind of recognizing that, especially from Lane Kiffin, that this is messed up. And again, Lane... You know, a guy that I used to love to hate now kind of, I guess, just love. I don't know. Uh, he's become the go-to quote. Now, he's not as prolific as Spurrier or some of the most, you know, high-profile people from the past. But especially without Leach there, I mean, he's the guy that everyone wants to go to for a quote. And they're going to ask him about everything because he's actually going to say pretty much what he thinks. And, you know, there's some other characters there. But for the most part, you got a lot of guys who are just trotting out cliches but I think people like SEC Media Days because this is the place where you're going to start talking about the storylines that matter, right? So who's going to win the national championships? Probably coming from this group of teams. Their opinions carry the most weight, much more so than you know the head coach of Stanford or something like that. So I, I appreciate Lane and uh, his willingness to talk. But you're right. It was, it was a little muted this year. Nothing too chaotic or crazy. Of course, we're also interested in Billy Napier and what does he say? You know, this is a question we talked about last year. Thoughts on him in this venue? Like, do you have an, a, your impression of him change at all from hearing him talk? I think he was more comfortable this time around. He, he, his systems are being put in place more significantly. So if anything, he's more upbeat than, than the people around him are about the upcoming season. He's more excited about several things we'll talk about than perhaps the average media person was, which I think is what largely came off. If you read other schools' opinions on him, it was larger that, hey, he seems to be more confident in what this year might look like than other people. Not delusionally so, but just that he's feeling a little more upbeat than perhaps if you're on the outside looking in at Florida and where our program is, that that seems you know hard to come by. So I think that is what probably stuck the most, but you're going to get what you get with Billy Napier, which is super buttoned up, rock solid coach speak, Nothing yeah. really of value to dig into. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, obviously, some of the best coaches in the game use that as a protection mechanism to really not be the colorful person in front of the media. And that is a persona. And that's clearly the one he's going to adopt. And he just leaned further into it. Uh, but he did, I, th- I think, do a nice job of really highlighting, I thought, the entire university athletic association very humble. That's genuine for him. Uh, That's who he is. I don't think that's an act. I think he truly is grateful for where he works. I think he's grateful for the athletic program. And I think he likes shining a light on all of the University of Florida. And that's a great brand ambassador to have. Uh, I thought that he did a really nice job. He's very classy in general for the athletic department. So I think good on him for that. But but yeah, nothing from him that's going to like you said with Lane Kiffin, that's going to really have the star power or appeal. Billy Napier is going to become a star if he becomes one because of what his football teams do on the field, which, Allen is what happened at Louisiana. Right. The reason why you and I or anyone else that followed football closely knew about him was because of the results, and that's exactly how he wants it. So he's just in, in year two of that process of saying, hey, look, nothing to see here. You're going to see results, and then I'll be maybe something more at this at this media event than I am now. Yeah, he's never going to be the star of the show. You're never going to go to him for the pull quote about whatever the hot topic is. I'm okay with that. I would rather 
have that than maybe his predecessor, who I would often cringe at what he might say. He didn't say anything valuable, but he might say something that I didn't really want him to say. I'm not really worried about that at all with Napier. He's not going to embarrass the university. He's going to say, you know, not a lot of value for you to read into it, but he's steadfast up there. I mean, you know, you have Kirby and Saban who are a little more prickly with the media. You know, Napier is much more accommodating, but he's just a little milk toast. And again, if the Gators are winning, no one's going to care at all. And so, I don't know. I I don't think if Florida fans want the Gators to be in the headlines, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen a lot from the media days from Napier. It might be from other things. But what's interesting to me, you kind of mentioned this a little bit, him being a little more confident. Like, I think that other people pointed this out too, that last year he was, seemed like he was, intentionally trying to tamp down expectations. Like this is going to be a long time in coming. This is a process. This is a rebuild. You know, even from the moment he got on campus talking about, yeah, we're not going to just do things to do things. We're not going to take players just to take them. We're going to move forward in our process. And we're confident that it's going to, you know, bring about the results that we want. But this year he was talking about, yeah, it's year two. We're a little bit better. We're a little more confident. The players have learned it. Our coaches have taught it again for the second time that he's a better fit because he's done it for a year. And so he wasn't, I mean, I don't think anyone was asking him, Hey, you're going to win the championship or anything. But when it came and the questions came about, you know, the results in the field, he didn't shy away from, I guess, moving us towards the fact that there's, he thinks there's going to be an improvement, which you would hope shows up in the, you know, win loss record. I don't know. Thought, did you get that vibe from him? Uh, we got the same vibe and we sat down with him, right? We had right. said that True. he's he's putting a lot of stock in, I think, his system building and where he's at. And he probably is more optimistic than other people are. And he mentioned that to us when he talked about, hey, Louisiana, you know, year two, you get another mm-hmm. guy in the system. It's it's You can now address these things. To me, it all makes sense. We've We've positioned him with our narrative to be a systems builder, perhaps to a fault where we talked about his lack of tactical maneuvering last year, more for the short term. He's a strategic systems builder. And when you're building systems and you see your systems start to work and you start to get the results that you were expecting to get within your system and you think your system will work, you start to feel confident Mm -hmm. despite the fact that you probably don't expect results right now. So I think that's where he is. That makes sense. Recruiting, significant uptick. He's, he's, he's at practice every day. He's in the building. He talked a lot about the team chemistry uptick, retention of players uptick, recruiting the right high school guys uptick. So I think to him, he's saying, okay, these gears are falling into place. And I know if they do in the long run, I'm going to win. And I think that's what we're seeing at SEC media days. So I wouldn't view it as this year, we're going to wind up making noise and make a run at something. I'd view it as it's a guy whose gears are being put into place. He's building the engine he wants to build and it's working. And for him, He's never done this as a head coach in the SEC. So I think there is a level of early satisfaction from his early returns and how he views his schedule that is leading to how he's feeling now. Right. And I, I would think that he probably views this as not a five-win team. All right. And I I think Gator fans would be feeling more confident if there were a couple different things in place. Let's say we had a return, returning quarterback, that we had a defense who was decent, but young and you're expecting to get better. Some of the more natural progression markers, but again, we're, we brought in a guy we're going to get to in a second here in Graham Mertz, but 
you know, bringing in a guy like that, the defense is a big question mark, right? There's, we talked about there's hope there, but I, there's not some of the traditional storylines that would say this team is going to be better than it was last year. But if you're just looking at Billy Napier and listening to him, I think that's what you would come away with, regardless of what the other markers are. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think in general, what we're saying is this year is something we're going to talk a lot about in the next five, six weeks. We're not going to talk a ton about what we think this year is going to look like right mm-hmm. now. So if you're excited for that, it's, it's going to happen. We're going to try to just keep a kind of big media picture, not to spoil the fun forthcoming. Uh, but, but yes, the five and a half win mark for Vegas at Florida, you have to think right now what you said is true. Billy behind closed doors thinks he's taking the over on that. Yeah. Uh, so there's a, there's a level of optimism for the season. And I think more importantly, optimism for his systems working year four or five from now where he really right. wants to be. How soon can I win a championship? I think he's starting to think if I keep doing this, I'm going to be there with Saban and smart uh, sooner rather than later. All right. There's a lot of discussion about head coaches as play callers and Billy obviously gets roped into that. The most high profile, high profile one is Jimbo Fisher, maybe giving the reins to Bobby Petrino. He kind of is really unwilling to be direct about that. He did hire him. But Eli Drinkwitz, head coach of Missouri, he's given up play calling duty. Hugh Freeze has done the same at Auburn. And, of course, Billy Napier gets asked about this as well. So we've been talking about this. This is now entered into more of a, I don't know, national narrative, but at least an SEC narrative about head coaches moving away from this. And Billy's doing the opposite of that. So, again, I think that's going to be highlighted if Missouri and Auburn and Texas A&M have success doing that. I think it's going to be putting even more of a spotlight on Billy doing the inverse of what they're doing. Yeah. We've said this is, this is like where he's most exposed mm-hmm. is his way. decision-making here. And and we've talked about that at length. If you haven't heard that before, you can go back and hear that on previous episodes. We'll talk about it again this season because it is going to be a major talking point. I thought his answer to this question, which several people asked him was, was interesting, but not the answers we'd love to have on a discussion with him. And we would have asked him this question had we had the time. And we will ask him this question, hopefully next time we sit down together and have more time to discuss these things in depth. But the answer was a mixture of a, I love the game of football and it's the way that I can kind of still play the game of football, which was, which I appreciate his passion and enjoyment, but also exactly not necessarily the right answer looking from a team <laughs> yeah. perspective, because Hey, Alan, if you love to play football and you love playing Madden, I'm not just going to hand you the controls. Now that's that's too reductive, but that was a part of it. And the second part was, more importantly, he felt like this was still the best way to go for the team based upon the fact that it keeps him informed front line on what defenses are doing, what offenses are doing, how things are changing, how he reacts. Basically, it keeps him engaged in active problem solving on the front line. And that is what this discussion is about. If you become a head coach and a CEO you often lose some of the frontline day-to-day problem solving. Okay, well, Coach Ham threw this at my offense today. What do I do? As the head coach, that may funnel through you eventually. You're in your meetings and the offensive coordinator says, hey, we're, we're struggling with this problem and you might answer it. But as the actual play caller and the OC, essentially, you are dealing with that every practice. So you're still in the micro part of the game. And that's one reason why we've said, is that a wise idea? You only have so much time. And on top of that, if you're not a wizard at the micro part of the game, 
is that really what you should be doing? And time will tell. So I think for him, he didn't back off of it. He was comfortable where he was. And he basically said, I like doing it. And I feel like it's best for our team. And I don't really have a plan to change that. So again, you and I have said this, that's where he's most exposed. And now obviously other podcasts, other media outlets have highlighted this in the preseason. If you know anything about the media, you know that means they're setting themselves up to revisit this later. Exactly. Right? This is an anchor point to benchmark, to come back to later and start writing more stories about if things don't go the way Billy would want them to go on offense. Right. And there was a lot of metrics that Florida was fine on offense, right? They were not a disaster. I think they were top 25 in SB+. Yeah, very functional, right? But I think where the criticism comes in is the win-loss record and the kind of production you're getting from your top four pick. So I, I do appreciate what he said about knowing his team and being heavily involved in his team, both on offense and defense, right? If you're having to go against the defense, you understand what's happening on that side of the ball a little more intimately probably. Um. And I think that's fine. If you can make it work and that's your preference, more power to you. And also, he's got a little time here. If the build out is going as planned, if he wants to be a little bit more hands-on in the foundation, he's got the freedom to do that. I don't think Florida's not in line to win a championship this year. So whether we had an OC or not, it's probably not moving that, that marker all that much. Right. So if we had the best OC in the country, we're still probably not winning a championship. But there might come a point where he's got to figure out again, how important is this to him? Ultimately, is he willing to die in this hill? And I hope he makes it work. Right. I hope this year's offense looks excellent with, you know, the caveats that you have limited players. You're not having the type of players that you want to bring in ultimately. Uh, They're not at least all the way there yet in terms of their age and their experience. So, yeah, I'm pulling for him. I hope he can make it work. And if, because that's what he wants to do, I get that. And that's, you know, he's, he's the head coach. He gets to make those choices and he has to live with them. Yeah. And we'll find out. So, we said big storyline from the start. We said that before he got hired. Big storyline now. And the data eventually will answer the question for us and for him. So, we will see. You've got some quotes here, Alan, from Billy Napier. Yeah. You want to read that first one? I'll read the first one here for you for sure. Uh, I've been very impressed with Graham, Graham Mertz, that is. Graham's a 32-start player. He's played over 2,000 snaps at a really established program in Wisconsin. We went through an extensive process to make that decision. I think Graham is an accomplished player, but more importantly, I've been impressed with the person, the leader. This guy has an incredible motor and work ethic. He's in the building, and he is fanatical about his preparation. So your thoughts on these comments. He also went on to comment on Jack Miller about how this has elevated Jack Miller's game. He felt like Jack Miller had his best session of football um, as well as with Max, uh, the third string quarterback as well. So commented on all of them, but clearly Graham seems to be getting the headliner treatment here. Right. And I think that makes sense. If you have a young team to have a veteran quarterback kind of blends those things together. And the first thing he says about him, is his experience, right? 32 starts, 2,000 snaps. Again, not at like a low or tier program. Wisconsin is a, you know, a really historic program. Actually, if you look at what he said and the players he brought in, a lot of them were more experienced guys, right? So it seemed like they valued guys who had a lot of snaps, right? Again, they're going to take the best player. They're going to take a defensive lineman from who fits their metrics, even if he hasn't played a lot. But the guys that they wanted to come in and fill in just spots at like linebacker, quarterback, even safeties, like we want some guys who've had some snaps because that's what we're lacking. And I think they probably looked at Mertz and 
said, even if he's not the most talented or he's a little limited or he's not going to do everything we want him to do, he's a guy who has experience who can keep this team together probably on and off the field. That's the plan. That's the hope. That's why he he got him, right? Now, we'll see. We put a film review out on him. We've talked about this. We'll be chronicling this week by week. To me, Graham Mertz is the starting quarterback for Florida, and Jack Miller would have to do some wizardry to overtake him for two main reasons. One, you just mentioned, experience. Yeah. We know that means a lot to Billy. He mentioned it three or four times in our discussion with him alone. He talks about it all the time at the QB position, and he wants that and needs that, he feels like, to execute his offense, where I think, beneficially so, he gives his quarterbacks a chance to check into anything. I think that can lead to optimal ceiling-level play. Whether or not Graham is the guy is up for debate. Talk to Wisconsin fans, as we talked about. That That is not up for debate. He is not the guy. We'll see. We're going to find out what goes on with that. The second reason, of course, is if you were really confident in Jack Miller, a guy who's had almost no experience, who got thrown to the wolves in the in the bowl game, yeah. uh, then you probably don't bring in Graham Mertz and talk so glowingly about him all offseason long. You talk about it as an open competition and you're not sure who's going to win rather than a few sub praise for Graham followed by, hey, Jack's done really well and it's going to be a competition. So I think that's what to expect. That's what we're going to get. That's what we all expected when we brought him in. And now we just have to see uh, if Billy is right or not about this process and whether this fits into the offense. And oh, by the way, Alan, whether this fits into an offense with now what looks to be, once again, something we're very familiar with, a very questionable offensive line. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, they haven't come out and said that Mertz is a starter, but if you're, you don't even have to read the tea leaves if you're, if you're just understanding what he's saying. Yeah. And if, if Miller gets named a starter, I think that's because he's made a huge move. It's probably good news. It's, it's probably not that Mertz has faltered. It's probably that Miller has all of a sudden put it all together, gotten enough reps in the system where, hey, man, he passed this guy. And you know, even though Miller's been here longer, Mertz feels like, quote, unquote, the incumbent. They Correct. brought him in here to start, and I, I think that's the expectation moving forward. And I, I have days where I'm like, you know, maybe the Mertz thing could work. Maybe I'm drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit from Billy. We'll see, though. I. I do think there is a there's a path forward for him, as you said, of directing this offense in a way that maybe a guy with inexperience couldn't do. And, you know, if Mertz is that guy, I think that'll be a really fun narrative to the season. Not that he's going to come out and win the Heisman or anything, but that his his play elevating the rest of the team could be really fun for the yeah, program. Could be. And if you haven't, hop on YouTube and check out the extensive film review on him. You'll see the good, the bad, and the ugly, and you'll see – one of the main concerns that I have with him, which is offensive line play. Okay. I think he's been very solid if he has time behind his line. It looks like once upon a time, Florida may have had that. We may still have that if all of our starters stay healthy, but it's becoming more of a question mark. All right, second quote here I've got for you. All right, this is Napier again. I'll read it. So I think we've come up with really good systems to attack those areas, and I'm pleased with the progress we are making. Again, each part of this is very fluid, and we'll continue to adjust and adapt as we go, but I'm pleased with the year one to year two transition relative to the recruiting calendar, NIL, and certainly the portal. So simple comment here. It's one thing to say that. It's another thing to say that and have the date of the 2024 class has, mm -hmm. right? There's some backing now that, hey, year one got smacked with a lot of stuff. He talked about this during SEC media days. It was a tough time to enter as a football coach during the biggest transition in college football in you know 50 to 60 years. Right. And now clearly he's, quote, pleased. 
which he has to be given where Florida is in recruiting, which we'll talk about that in a little bit. So that, that's self-explanatory, but again, leans into that system piece. He mentions the really good systems. His confidence is going to come from his system, not from a one-day or one-week result. Yeah, and you're right. He seemed, yeah, not that this was going to be just a one-off thing, that he was confident this was going to be how it was going to be in the future. And you know that remains to be seen, but I think the data thus far would show you that he's adjusting and learning and, and pivoting. You know, he mentioned this a bunch of times, but they weren't recruiting any of the players that were in that profile that Florida might take last year. They're recruiting from a whole different pool and, you know, having a little more runway as you would hope would show up in, you know, the rankings or the kind of players that they're taking. And I think that's proven to be true, at least thus far. All right, last quote from Napier. Again, we want to continue to recruit the best high school players in the country and establish some stability from a roster management standpoint and and do less work in the portal in the future. Right. I, you know, they joke about Kiffin being the portal king or, you know, you, you saw Michigan State two years ago basically jump up a ton because of what they did in the portal. But that's a – and TCU last year as well. But that's a dangerous – Colorado this year, yeah. right, turning over the whole roster <laughs> the entire basically. Roster. That's a dangerous way to live. Right. You'd have to do that almost every year to make that work. And that's not a recipe for success. I think he wants to be much more in the Alabama, Clemson, Georgia profile where they're taking a few like at very specific needs. Or if a high profile guy comes available, you're going to take him. And I think that's much better from even the word he used stability, right? That you're not as worried about half your team defecting that you're not having to pull in starters all the time or key depth pieces in the portal. I think the portal is like, you know, it's a little bit of fool's gold. It can be really good, but it's just as likely to bite you in the butt. And so this is where this can feel like coach speak. And I wanted to highlight this for this reason, but this is, this is not, this Mm -hmm. is foundational vision building for your program. Contrast this with Dan Mullen, who really could never even answer what kind of football team he wanted in this regard, right? He had portal guys and other guys and guys would leave and recruiting was an afterthought to him. As we all know, this is a concerted effort to say, I want to be in the mold of a Kirby smart and a Nick Saban, which everyone can say Billy has successfully done that at Louisiana. So he's not just saying, and he's trying to do it here. And he's saying, I don't want to be going in the portal to get nine or 10 guys a year. I want to get one to two or three, or maybe none in the dabble vein, if possible, I'd love to keep everyone here. And that is a mindset that he has. Other coaches will be more fluid with that. They're going to say the reality is 10 guys are going to transfer. Lane Kiffin's talked about this before. That is not Billy's mindset. I think he believes with his human focus that if he can get guys into his system, into his family, into the UF family, he has a higher chance of retaining his players throughout their years. And that will give him an advantage with team chemistry, roster building, and roster management. So this is a key element, a foundational element for him, again, that could be coach speak, but for him is definitely not. And I think the question now is if he can do this, Allen, in this environment, there's no doubt that's a huge competitive advantage. Yeah. That is only going to become more appealing to players who I think have more of a professional mindset. Professionals want a place of stability. They want a place where they can grow their skills. They want a place where they can get from college to the NFL. And they do not want to have a revolving door of changes. So that is one reason why Georgia and Alabama are reaping such significant rewards right now is they are the calm amongst the chaos. You know what you get with them. 
And if Billy can build Florida into a you-know-what-you-get-with-them kind of program, that's significant. So I think that quote, although, again, seems simple, is actually significant if that is what he can accomplish in the future. Yes, easier said than done for sure because there's always going to be guys who are unhappy with their situation, their playing time, whatever else. And, you know, maybe you it's probably healthy for your team for some people to cycle down. But you want to be taking the type of players who – there's less of a chance they're going to need to move down in competition, right? You don't want to see guys transferring out and going lower. You know, that, that's a sign that you missed on too many guys in the recruiting process. And, you know, we're going to get to Florida's current recruiting, but that it seems to be that's where they're trending. Okay. At least one quote from good old Lane Kiffin here. Someone's asking about boosters in NIL, and he says, I'm not about to put, start putting rankings out there on boosters from top to bottom in the conference, Kiffin said. He paused, but then he added, but God, I want to so bad. Uh, yes, there a little maturity from Lane uh, editing himself there, but I love that. that uh, he, being asked about the boosters and who are the best boosters, and you know, <laughs> obviously dodging that bullet probably would have gotten him in trouble. Yeah, booster ranking would be wildly entertaining because, you know, for those guys, they're keeping tabs in their own head. It's one reason why they do what they do. But I also think for Kiffin, he's he's calculated. He has not been, as we talked about during the hiring search, a great recruiter, which is surprising. Mm -hmm. He often kind of gets that, but the data would say otherwise. And I think for him, this is a nice way to put a permanent excuse into his average recruiting at Ole Miss. He recruits at Ole Miss just like most other competent coaches have recruited mm-hmm. there, surprisingly so. He does hit better on certain positions for sure, and their offense is successful. But if you just say all the time, look, this is a booster-driven thing. We don't have the NIL dollars here. Then you're kind of set up expectations that I'm, I'm taking you here, and if you give more money, I'll take you here. Right. But I really can't do that. I want to contrast this with Billy Napier, who's never made those statements and has continued to try to find a way to make this work so that he can win. Now, he does have Florida and not Ole Miss as a booster. But regardless, I do think that Lane, tongue-in-cheek there, is a lot of truth. This should not be about that. He's totally right. And also, it's a way of saying, if it stays this way, hey, largely players are going to go where the money is. And he's completely right about that. We've talked about this. Mm -hmm. And that's why this system is obviously is broken right now. Yeah, and I think it still stratifies in the same way it always has, right? And but you know, there's a few things like the portal that, you know, you live and die by it. You can make your team better at that, and you can, if you're good at cherry picking, out of the portal, you can kind of up that your placement in the larger college football universe. But I do think if you're an Ole Miss fan, you listen to those things, even if they're tongue in cheek, and be like, yeah, he might get to the point where he's ready to leave for greener pastures. Even if the job profile is roughly the same, if there's just more NIL dollars, AKA Auburn, the, a school like that, where is it like, is Auburn a better job than Ole Miss? I don't know, but there's more NIL dollars I would think. So, yeah, I mean, it seems, it seems like it's a much better job than, right. than Ole Miss. Well, you know, it, it has its benefits. It's less chaotic. He's probably not getting fired at Ole Miss at the rate he would get fired at Auburn, but there's a higher chance to win there. Sure, yeah, uh, that's that's interesting. If your job satisfaction involves longevity and less expectations, Ole Miss. But also, we got to the end of our SEC media days and didn't mention Hugh Freeze, which we, we're going to talk about him. But yeah. obviously, that's a huge addition to the SEC coaching world again and a guy that a lot of people are are already putting some significant belief in for Auburn to begin making, making noise relatively quickly. So he'll be someone to follow on the planes. All right, also... 
you know, the, the media likes to put out a preseason team. So just like, well, not just like last year, because we had somebody on the second team last year. No Gators on the first or second teams. Three guys on the third team. How, how significant do you think it is that no Gators are on that first or second team, or does it matter at all to you? Oh, it does matter. We talked about this last time, because if your recruiting tier is high enough and you're about to read off these other stats, then you will have players on your first and second teams. And of course, Billy himself talked about what makes a good defense. And the first thing he said are players, which it does. Now, the media is not always right with who they identify here, which is part of what you're saying. But also, like we've talked a lot about, you want your average to give you room for error to where if you have high or low variance, you're still in the conversation. If you don't have a single player expected on the first or second team, rarely, I think, are you going to find a team be very successful in any conference if the media is so down on all their players. It does happen. It can happen. But certainly Florida wants to have at least a handful and eventually a bunch of guys on this list if they're going to compete with the teams you're about to read off because you're going to see how deficient Florida is in this regard. Right. And I think there's some of these guys on... We'll just mention them, Bama and Georgia, of course. They haven't even played a lot. It's because of who they are and the slot that they're fitting into in their recruiting profile. The expectation is they're going to be elite performers. Okay, uh, let me just mention the three guys on the third team for UF. Travis Etienne, Trevor Etienne. Travis didn't make it. Come on, you're the Jacksonville Jaguars <laughs> fan. You, that makes I know. sense. He's, you're locked in right now. Right, there you go. go. Jags. Uh, Jason Marshall and Princely. So I think those make sense to me. Interestingly, that Etienne and not Montreal made the third team. I think everyone else is seeing probably what Gator Nation's been seeing, that Etienne is a potentially really special player. And just to be fair here, if you put Etienne on Bama or Georgia, he almost certainly is a first or second teamer, and probably the same for Jason Marshall in all yeah. likelihood. So a lot of this is team specific to what you mentioned. So I think we, we probably Princely I think is much more questionable, but I think we probably have two guys for sure that if you change the, the Jersey, they probably are on that list. Anybody else that you think could or should have been included? Not when you're competing with the teams we're competing with in the sec. I think we have some nice players. That's not to say we don't have nice players, but again, to your point, you're competing with more highly touted guys on more productive football teams. And that is how you get on these first or second teams at the end. It's largely stat-driven. Where is Florida going to get the stats if they're a mediocre team? They're just not going right. to get them. No, but I didn't think there was any obvious exclusion from this list, right? So, no, Or no. even close. Not not even like, wow, surprised he's not even making the third team. So that shows you where Florida is at relative. Okay, Bama has... I think this is backwards, actually. UGA has 19 players on the first or second team. Correct. 10 first-teamers. Yep. 10 first-teamers from UGA, who is immediately trying to rival Kirby's, I mean, I mean, immediately trying to rival Nick Saban's dynasty level at Bama by taking them one step further. I mean, is anyone going to beat Georgia anytime soon? We'll find out. Yeah, and so just a proliferation of of guys from those. I mean, they're like half of the slots that come from Bama and Georgia. Yeah, 14 for Bama. So that's, you know, 30-some-odd players on the first and second teams. There's only a total of like 50 players on both those things. I mean, they have like 60, 55, 60% of the roster. That's quite a hill to climb if you're going to beat one of those two teams. And again, a lot of those guys might not work out. And the end of the year, you're going to have guys who show out from Missouri or Texas A&M or something like that. So this list won't look the same, but it shows you the expectations on those two teams. Okay. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're going to play a little game here, um, stock up or stock down. So we have the media's predicted order of finish. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to ask you whether you want to buy, sell, or hold that positioning. Okay. Uh, again, this is the media's prediction, and I want to see how we fall in line with that. Okay. I'll read it, and then I'll go back through each individual. So in the East, one through seven, you've got Georgia, Tennessee, South Carolina, Kentucky, Florida, Missouri, and Vanderbilt. All right, back up to Georgia there. Are you buy, seller holding that? Hold because I have to hold, and that's where they should be. A clear favorite in the East by a mile. Agreed. I don't think that there's anyone really close to them, although a typical team who's losing their starting quarterback and the number of players that they've lost to the draft, you would think, oh, they're ripe to be taken down. But I don't see anybody coming for them. Now, it doesn't mean they won't lose. They have an incredibly easy schedule as well. That's that part of the problem. On, is their right? schedule is like a favor of all favors. So they could they could lose a game this year, which they haven't in a little while. But I w- that would not be shocking. But I think two losses in the regular season would be surprising. Now, when it comes to playoff time, maybe we're not picking them to win it because we've seen some of the holes in the, in the team. But to win the East for them, I think it's a slam dunk. If they don't win the East, it would be shattering to the fan base. It would be cataclysmic that's how significant their edge is this year all right what about tennessee at number two hold uh, i like i like milton the quarterback there he was the starter before hooker you know unseated him uh he's not as it's quite as accurate as hooker and hooker is not particularly accurate in his own right which we've talked about but that offense is so easy to run it's not changing 
They pose all kinds of problems. It's a vertical passing offense with a vertical guy with an arm who can run. I mean, to me, it's plug and play. And if you look at the East and you look at who they're competing with, I see no reason why Tennessee's not scoring 30-plus points a game against this competition, and I don't think their competition can keep up with that kind of number. So to me, I like this spot here. I'm tempted to say sell because I don't know if they're going to replicate what they did last year offensively and defensively. But as you said, their relative positioning here in the East makes me say I have to hold it, right? If you were to put them in the West, do I think they finished number two in the West? Absolutely not. Yeah, I agree there. Um, I think they get beat up too much. But I don't know. That Georgia game sticks in my mind as well. We were begging people to do what Georgia did against them. Either no one was willing to or no one could. I think not totally sure on that. But if Georgia put out the blueprint, they could suffer if Milton is a step down from what Hooker was. They lost two wide receivers. They're two most prolific wide receivers. I have some questions about them, but I have a lot more questions about the rest of the teams on this list. And that's the answer. And also, yeah, look, Pitt put the blueprint out. Right. We put the blueprint out before the game against them and said, look, just do what Pitt does. Please, please, please. And we did nothing like And it. no one else Neither did. Neither did most other and teams. Bama didn't either. And Bama didn't either. And Georgia did. And you saw the result. Uh, Georgia obviously has lead athletes. But regardless, yeah, they're, they're going to be a fascinating watch for me for all the reasons that I love Tennessee's offense right now is how do people start adjusting to it? And do they do what needs to be done? And part of it is recognition that you have to play a lot more man. You've got to play a lot of cover zero. So especially if you're inferior talent-wise. So we'll see what happens, but your answer is correct. This is a relative positioning. And based upon the rest of these names we're going to see in the East, it's hard to put Tennessee beneath any of them. So we've got hold-hold so far for both of us. All right, South Carolina. So Spencer Rattler, who's just one of the more interesting college quarterbacks for a variety of reasons, is there. They had a tremendous close to the season. Do they keep this momentum going? I don't know. I'm going to hold them here with like a option to sell after I see a few games. Cause I mean, it, it, it was just a really weird season for them. And mm-hmm. how you close one season and go into the next in college football is often has zero correlation. But again, I'm looking at the names beneath them and I'm saying mm, these get really dicey. They're all in the same basket. And they do have a returning experienced quarterback. And the rest of these teams don't really at that level. Even though I'm not really a Spencer Rattler fan, I cannot deny how he performed at the end of the season. Yeah, this feels crazy because if you just put on the tape of Florida, South South Carolina, you'd be like, this is a rough team. Then they go on and put it on people two weeks in a row. And did they figure something out? Was that a turning point for them? I mean, they beat Clemson. That's that's a real deal. They beat Tennessee. I mean, that's how do you how do you deny that? I I don't know. Um, I'm not a big believer in them currently. Not that they couldn't improve. Um, I'm holding as well, very reluctantly. But I will hold them there. But I I don't have a lot of confidence in that. Right. So we both basically, I think, are saying the same thing there. It's a very weak hold. Yes. Okay. Because I will say, I think, shoot, even two through six are fairly fungible to me. Like, oh, yeah. You you could switch this order up 10 different ways, and I wouldn't be surprised at all. I agree. Okay. Number four, Kentucky. Sell. I tend to be a significant Mark Stoops at Kentucky denier. Uh-huh. I was last year. It turned out to be true. I am again this year. I think what he's done there is admirable, but 
I think they have more downside than upside. And there's really not a lot that gets me excited about them. I could find other reasons to like teams around them more. So I'm going to sell them at four. I'm going to sell them at four as well. I think, again, this is about their range. I don't know. Record-wise, four, five, and six could be, all have the same record. And there's just a, a small tiebreaker. But I I don't know. The Dennis Leary of it all, like he's coming in. Is he going to be healthy? Is either that? Is he awesome? Is he terrible? They're bringing back their OC from two years ago. Does that matter? I'm not sure, but I don't have a lot of confidence in them currently. Okay. Those Florida Gators at number five. I'm going to hold. Okay. And if it was just versus the SEC East teams, I would buy them, but it's not. And Florida has a very hard schedule and that is going to influence how these teams finish. So again, if it's just SEC East division games, I will buy them. If it is overall record, I will I will hold them. I'm gonna buy. It's a soft buy here. I'm not I'm not putting a lot of money. I'm not buying a lot of shares, but I'm gonna buy them. I think four and three is possible. I think they have more upside than downside, and that's not by a huge amount because there's considerable downside. This is a team that also lost to Vanderbilt last year, right? So. The teams beneath them can certainly do that. And I don't know, but I, I'm feeling a little bullish on Florida when you position them at five. All right, how about Missouri at six? I think you, are you going to hold every slot here? No, no, I, I sold I'm sorry, Kentucky. you sold Kentucky. I'm sorry. I held Florida with an option to buy. I'm going to buy Missouri. Okay. I think Missouri has upside this year. I, the Drinkowitz experiment hasn't been what they've wanted it to be. A lot, a lot of people think Missouri could be really something special this year. Yeah, I do not share that sentiment. I do think they could be good. I also think they're Missouri, and it's just hard to get a beat on these guys. So I like their upside, though. I think to me they have more upside than Kentucky, and I think they have a different upside to Florida for different reasons based upon their roster. To me, they're very much like Florida. A lot of things could happen that would make sense to me. So I'm going to buy them for the potential upside. I like that a lot. I'm going to hold them there because I don't think I'm, I wouldn't necessarily move them. Man, maybe I would move them Kentucky position. Kentucky at six would feel like a slap in the face to Kentucky fans. That's maybe where I think they're at. That's where I have Kentucky for sure. So, all right, I'll, I'll do a soft buy there as well. Mirror you. All right. I guess we have to, are you, are you buying Vanderbilt? No, I'm going to buy Vanderbilt. And this is funny because we, we didn't say that we had to like, get them all in position with each other. Yeah. I, I, I relative. Am, you're right. This is a market. I am bullish on Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. I think that what they did last year was incredible. I think they have a delusional coach <laughs> who perhaps delusion might reach him. Goodness. Yeah. yeah. Probably he's never going to reach the excellent that, that he dreams of or just says, but I mean, look, let's be real. This Vanderbilt team became competent. Let's not forget how they played Georgia. Let's not forget how they played some of these teams for minutes in some of these games. They were competitive. So I think in general, Missouri almost beats Georgia, should have beat Georgia. They're at the bottom of this list. Vanderbilt, competitive. They beat Florida. They basically really changed our trajectory of our season. Right. We come off spanking South Carolina. They have a nice finish to their season. You know, I think these teams, Kentucky, Florida, Missouri, Vanderbilt, South Carolina, to me, they're in a blender for different reasons. Now, Vanderbilt is the least talented by far. So they should be at the bottom. But again, if you're going to shake these up and you're going to run a thousand simulations on this season with injuries and other stuff, that's a great point. There's no reason why Vanderbilt can't finish even fourth. I think this year, I think that's possible. Would it surprise you if I said that it was Georgia, Tennessee, 
Pick anyone you want. Florida and then Vanderbilt, followed by Kentucky, Missouri. No. 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 That'd be heroic for Vanderbilt, but it's, it's possible. So that's why I want to buy them. I think they're already at the bottom anyway. I think there's a lot of worlds where they're up. They're sixth or they're fifth even, or maybe even fourth with the home run scenario. Uh, again, I do think they're more competent. I don't think you're going to see these like two-win seasons out of Clarkley that you've seen out of other guys, which means if they win four or five games, they coin flip some others, they could be there. All right, I'm going to buy with you. I like that. Let's Some clarity on the rules that you're, our buys, holds, and sells don't have to match necessarily, but who are we bullish on? Who do we want to sell a little bit? Okay. And for the record, I think Vanderbilt got smacked by George in the first quarter last year, if I recall correctly. Uh, I think that's accurate. It was Missouri who I was mentioning who I pulled through, but if my memory is correct... Maybe they were down like 28 nothing in four minutes or something. I don't know. But either way. Some things happened last year. Who can say? That's right. Somebody correct me, as you will, when I'm spitballing here. I know Missouri played them really well and should have won. Yes, uh, exactly. Oh, they had the game. Yes, they, they should have. And again, Missouri also played other teams really poorly. That's why all of these teams have major flaws, including our own team. So good luck picking that one. Also, Alan, worth mentioning, I guess, the third most first place votes went to Vanderbilt, which is kind of a media joke. Second yeah. was Tennessee with 14. George had 265 and Vanderbilt had eight. So there, there you go. go. Kentucky had one. Florida and Missouri have none. That's right. All right. A little more split out in the West. So with 165 votes compared to you know Georgia's 265, Alabama at number one. What do you got there? <laughs> I'm going to sell them. You're gonna I'm going to sell Alabama. I'm going to do it. Okay. I'm going to do it. I think that's the only, I mean, if you're number one, that's the only reasonable thing unless you think that they're a lock. They there. have a lot of question marks. Yeah. They have a tricky schedule. I, and this is a super weak sell because we'll talk about the other teams later. But I think for right now, if I had to, I'd feel more comfortable selling them and holding them. And there's a lot of ways this season for them doesn't turn out to be amazing. All right. I'm going to hold them there. I think they're the clear favorite. And oh, they are. They are on the paper quarterback sure. position is the one thing. Them bringing in that Alabama thing. or the Notre Dame quarterback makes me a little nervous. No, there's there's reasons to be very nervous about the quarterback spot right. with them. But I think they're still the class. They are. I agree. All right. Interested when you think here. LSU, who got 117 first place. They did win the West last year. I'm going to buy LSU. Whoa. And this shouldn't be surprising because A, I'm a quarterback guy. Okay. Check. B. Brian Kelly's weird. I'm a Brian Kelly guy. He said it when LSU hired him. This dude's a winner. He's an absolute winner. He wins 10 games every year like clockwork. He comes into the SEC and wins the freaking division. Who saw that coming that quickly? They recruit automatically at LSU. So again, why would we not think that Brian Kelly, the same Brian Kelly who won a bunch of games in Notre Dame every year with an inferior roster, gets an automatic Lane Kiffin-like dream job of automatic recruits, where he's not to recruit actually, with a better roster where he's already proven he can compete with an inferior roster. Now, he gets smacked when he played the Bamas of the world in the past, but he didn't He didn't get smacked last year. They're only going to get better. I think LSU is going to be a thorn in Nick Saban's side until Nick Saban retires for as long as Brian Kelly's there. So is this the year? I don't know. They have more downsides than Alabama does, but I also think their quarterback is a major, major upgrade over anything Bama has, and that may make the difference. All right, my hand is hovering over the sell button, and I'm going to smash it. I'm going to sell right, it, LSU. I hope that you're right. I, I would really like LSU to I be I think terrible. it was a little smoke and mirrors last year, and they overperformed, right? Is that going to catch up to them in the West, right? They so could. I don't think that they're going to go three and nine or whatever, but... I hope so. Oh, well, that'd be great. <laughs> but I, I don't know, man. I'm going to end up selling a lot of these teams, I think. But 
Just sell the whole West. I'm going to sell the whole West. <laughs> Hold Alabama and sell everyone else. <laughs> I, I'm going to sell on LSU and admit that I could be wrong about that. But we all could be wrong. Yeah. yeah, of course. But I don't know. Something about them, I'm, I just don't have a ton of confidence that they're going to be ha- – they might repeat their season in some sense, but I don't think they're going to be better, and they might get knocked down a peg there. They, right. It certainly could. The, the West, I think, this year, as always, is very intriguing. And this year is a different level of intriguing because of Bama's perceived weakness at quarterback. They might figure that out, but that could open the playing field. All right, number three, Texas A&M. This is a team where I don't, I don't know how anyone gets a handle on what's going on with A&M anymore at all. Mm-hmm. Last year was a disaster. <sighs> I, I mean, I just think for that reason, I have to sell A&M. They're just they're they're really hard to get any kind of bearing on. And if I'm investing in something, I need some trajectory I can trust. And I just gave you the narrative for Brian Kelly. I have something to anchor onto. I I don't I don't I don't anymore with AM. Tyler Rummery, our first fan as he calls himself, is right. Jimbo Fisher, a guy I used to think was a really good football coach, and I think was at one point in time, has not found himself. He just really hasn't at AM. Uh the stats stay say so. And I gotta I gotta side with his recent history here. There's enough data there to say I don't I don't want to put any belief in him. I don't know. I'm gonna sell. Yeah, big time sell for me. And they might turn around just because of their sheer talent. Connor Wegman, you know, they have a returning quarterback technically, although he didn't wow me last year. I have no belief that Jimbo is gonna do the type of things necessary to make this team work. I think they're broken a little bit culturally, and I think the heat's gonna get turned up. They're gonna drop they were bad last year. They dropped some hideous games. They also played well in a couple of games, right? But at three in this division, give me that sell. All right, Ole Miss at, at four. I'm going to hold them okay. right here. There's upside to this team. They have a lot of playmakers on offense. Uh, I like them. I'm entering into the, the basket of unknown scenarios here. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I'm like, okay, well... Could be really fun. It's an, I think they're an easy team to buy here, but I'm going to hold them up for it. I'm going to buy them. I like their upside more than their downside here uh, by a lot. I think they could be the second best team. They, they could win this. They could. That's why, again, I think they're a buys for a lot of people. They they have that sexiness on offense for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I like them. I mean, they have three different guys who could all start at quarterback for them. Maybe they'll run a three-quarterback system. Maybe they if will. If that happens, I'll elevate them to one immediately. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I like them. More than I like AM. Mm-hmm. Me and too. Me too, by the way. They're a little frisky. So I'll, I'll buy Ole Miss. All right, how about Arkansas at five? I'm buying Arkansas. All right. Buying Arkansas. Uh, I think that Pittman's got them going in the general right direction. They're a hard team to beat. They lose close games. They play you tough. I think they, they're going to get they – can, they can be on the wrong end of variance, which they were last year, and they can also be on the right end, which they were the year before. So I like them here with upside at five. I'm going to hold them here at five. I I could be convinced to do either one to sell or to buy. And it's a little milk toast to say I want to hold them, but they could be fun this year or they could crash and burn and finish in seventh too. I think there's a lot of things on the table. As you said, they do tend to play close games. Did they peak a little bit early in the Pittman era? Were they just a surprise two years ago? And the wheels are coming off, and he's going to end up getting fired. It could go the other way. It could. It could. It could. I, but I agree. If I were having to bet, I probably would bet against them being more competitive than not. But I just don't really have a lot of confidence in that. All right. War Eagle, Armor Tigers at six. 
I'm definitely buying here. This might be one of the better buys on paper mm. preseason because you have a proven coach who's won everywhere he's been. He knows what he's doing. The stage is not too big for him. He's already gotten some really nice results and patchworking that roster and their slow expectations. So I think in the sixth slot there, I like I like Hugh Freeze with upside. Yeah, easy buy here for me. I, they could finish sixth. I wouldn't be surprised by that just because of how tough this division is. But yeah, I mean, I... <laughs> Would you be surprised if they were in second place in November? No, no, that's no. I think that's what we're saying. It's a, yeah. it's a blender here. A lot of stuff can happen. Okay. Lastly, sadly, here Mississippi State. You know, losing Mike Leach, having a kind of a rough transition here to a guy. I think it could be a decent coach in Derek Barnett, but I don't know. Yeah, just really unfortunate um, across the board. This is a hold for me. Right. I think they're slotted in the right spot. Hard to find a lot of really positive upside moves for them right now. They're sort of in this transition from a shock moment, and it feels like that's probably where they're going to be. Right. I mean, I think if you were to put them in another conference just on their talent alone, they probably they wouldn't. I wouldn't be picking them to finish last, but somebody's got to finish last year, and it feels like appropriately to them. It's probably the easiest pick of all of them, to other than Georgia, to say seventh in the West in Mississippi State. I think so. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Is that any realizations there for you? No, other than I think, you know, the SEC is largely a three headed monster. Okay. Where you have a, you have one ginormous head, you have one large head and you have one like, Hey, I'm, I need some space head in Georgia, Alabama and LSU. Those are like the three figureheads we're looking at this season. There's some dark horses, but those are the horses that we expect to be marching. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, one or two of them into the playoff at the end of the year. That's the expectation. Yeah. And I guess I'm selling LSU as that third team. Then maybe it's just a little two-headed for yeah. me. Yeah, and that's where the dark horse a dark horse emerges, which is also possible. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, Georgia with 100. So this is first place votes. Georgia 181, Alabama with 62. Man, so both Georgia and Alabama have quarterback question marks, right? But that Georgia is so far ahead vote-wise to Bama was surprising to me. I think Kirby's... Kirby They've won two championships in a row. So. With a walk-on who became a guy. I'm not yeah. selling him short, but became a guy, I think the media looks at that and thinks, I mean, come on. <laughs> like Now you have five stars that are stepping in. That's like, true. How, how much how, can it not be better? And I guess Alabama's damn downgrading from Bryce Young to whoever. Georgia Heisman, exactly. You know, exactly. find someone to like steer that. No, I think that's accurate. I mean, I think there has been a changing of the guard from Alabama to Georgia. We've talked about it, and I think Georgia is, is the new dynasty program in college football until proven otherwise. Mm. I don't like I that. I hate that. I hate it too. It's just reality. Uh, okay. I mean, Georgia, if their schedule wasn't so easy. So soft. So so easy. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Just a few bits of news here. Uh, High-profile transfer for the Gators, Keonta Goodwin, transfer from Kentucky, you know, was a top 100 guy, big-time tackle prospect, has stepped away from the team for personal reasons. So... That's about as vague as it can get. Unclear whether he might return to the team or not. Um, but that's a loss. Certainly, you're he's a guy you were hoping would, you know, find a way to start given his talent profile, or at least be a significant contributor and backup if someone beat him out. And that's a loss for this team for sure. Yeah, I think like you said, probably a backup for maybe all the season, if not a lot of it. But if somebody went down, the difference between him and the starter would have been hopefully minimal and it would have been due to experience. Right. 
that's a painful loss. You start looking at our O-line and our depth, and we are back to like bad scenario with a couple of injuries. You are in a woeful state in a, in a league where you cannot afford to be in a woeful state with the offensive line. And again, the pain we talked about in the offseason with losing some guys that were on the roster and just the nature of where we are with transitioning from Mullen to, to Napier and NIL and other stuff. If Florida went from a strength to major question mark and now there's even a bigger question mark right i know that michael tarquin transfer just looming large for the gators all right just another note uh quincy avery an edge player juco player added kind of last minute to the roster i don't know if we'll ever say his name again but there you go yeah i mean presumably you have a reason for adding someone so we'll hope this diamond in the rough pays out okay probably the thing that's been the best news for the Florida Gators over the last few months has been really just the frenzy they've been on in recruiting. So Florida currently third in the two, four, seven composite, right? With 21 commits and a average player profile ranking of 91.72. That's different than 2022 where UF was at this time, sitting 23rd with 12 commitments with still a decent player profile rating of 90.57. But that's a significant jump up for where the Gators have been at this point in the season for as long as I can remember since maybe the Muschamp era. Yeah, it's been 11 years. And doesn't mean, again, we'll put all the caveats that they would close at this spot, but they're at 21 commits. That's still with a lot of room to, you know, add significant players and continue to like hold on to that spot. They're not there with like at 27 recruits or something like that. So uh, really good by Napier and the staff, I think to turn in that kind of performance, at least at this mile marker. This is what we needed. We talked about this. We said the most important stool in your three-legged stool of winning a title is recruiting. That's the one. We have to see it. It's the most important component of the three-year test. You cannot have a positive three-year test without positive recruiting. It's never happened. It's got to happen. We said you had to get into that tier two or hopefully tier one category. And I am beyond pleased to report that as of today, we are in tier one and a half. And the only reason we're in tier one and a half is because we haven't signed three or four more players, which will almost certainly put us into the tier one category. We have two top 30-ish players. We have six top 100, and we have 11 top 300, which means we need two more, two more top 300s, which we almost certainly will get to become a tier one recruiting class, which would be the first time that has happened since Urban Meyer. This is a massive turnaround. In the middle of what a lot of people felt was some of the darkest days for Florida recruiting, the Rashada stuff. We don't know what we're doing as boosters. We don't have an NIL program. We're terrible on the field. And I want to say something that you and I have kept saying. We are we try to hold strongly, Alan, to like having a full set of data before we make any considerable judgment. But along the way, we talk about what we're worried about or what we think is a strength. And we've highlighted worries in the field, play calling, play design, other stuff. We talked about recruiting, had to pick up, right? But you do have to allow your coach to get the three years in the three-year test. We're on year two on the field and year three, quote unquote, in recruiting. And this is a major result. This is a hang your hat on this result. This is a phenomenal positive marker for Florida's football program because it's the most important thing we do. So if this holds up, 
this will be something that will keep Florida fans like myself afloat all season long, even if we suck and we win six games. Now, it depends on what that looks like on the field, but you have to have the talent. And so this is a huge win. And it also means that Billy can sell a product in the midst of the ship being on fire and not even floating in the water. He can get people to hop on board and say, hey, check this ship out. We're broken in half. We're on fire. We're not floating. We can't move, but we're going to move one day. And I want to tell you the vision of what this looks like. We're going to be sailing on the seas, annihilating other ships. Just picture yourself by the cannon, right? And he's doing it. Significant. Significant. I can't say enough about it. If we're not familiar with the tier system, we'll talk more about it as we get closer to recruiting here in the podcast. But essentially, we separate them out so we can tell better between number three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten in the recruiting rankings and kind of flesh out what you need to win titles. Tier one is the best, and Florida's knocking on the door for a tier one classic and first time since Urban Allen. It's it's something to celebrate. All right. You might have to create a point five tier for what Georgia has been doing the last few years. That their rec- their recruiting profile is like off the charts. We've given them tier zero. <laughs> yeah, tier is what zero. we've said before. They're like off in their own stratosphere. But yeah, historically, this is the type of stuff that will get you in the room, in the discussion. You're in the discussion, All right? And I think Florida, despite the fact they've taken some offensive linemen who are lower rated, right? That's still the place where they probably need to improve the most in terms of recruiting. Uh, that you know, last year's class was like all four stars. This this has some lower three stars, but they're getting the high end guys right. So you're seeing you know a DJ Lagway. You're seeing a couple other guys in the top. Really, if you want to like broaden this, it looks even better, right? Because you look at like top fifty players, you're seeing even more of those come in, right? So there's there's several guys in that thirty to fifty range, which doesn't show up in this metric as much, but. Those are top, top end guys. And right, and the difference between a guy who's 30 and 50 is not much, but there is a difference between a guy who's 30 and 100, probably. So they're pulling in that middle tier that we don't really, doesn't really show up in the, you know, the ranking system, but is really important to have those top, top, top talented guys. That's correct. And even the top 300 skews higher than right. normal. You have more guys in the 100s rank than you do in the 200s rank. Like Mullen would pull a lot of guys between 250 and 300. Right. Oh, we've got six guys in the top 300, but there is a difference between number 110 and number 255. If you have 100 of 255 versus 100 of 110, the odds are pretty good. You're going to hit more on 110. Each individual player is a crapshoot, right? Which right. is why we broaden these. Right. Players. And the higher they go, the more they're scrutinized and the more likely they're going to like hit. Because you get a guy like, is there really a difference between like 400 and 600? Probably not. That's a pretty big band of tier of player. So, you know, whatever. Uh, but getting those top 100 guys is really, I think, the place that if you want to compete with Georgia and Alabama, Ohio State, you've got to be pulling those top 100 guys. And right. again, they've they've consolidated around the few programs. So if a place like Florida, a few other places can start to chip away at that. We're gonna, we could see a little bit more parity at the top. And I know a lot of you are saying, hey, look, Georgia cooks the books. They fix the ratings. <laughs> I've seen the YouTube videos, the 247 guys. All of that could be totally true. Yeah. The reason the system still works is you still have to evaluate the overall average quality of your playable talent. Who's starting on your team? What's their talent? This is the easiest way to do it. And it also happens to have both correlation and causation historically. So again, even using flawed metrics, it still works. If you want to get a gauge of how 
quality a certain football team is, put them into tiers and look at their team, and you're going to quickly figure out what they're capable of at a ceiling level. More often than not, especially in the SEC, where you have other teams that have a lot of talent, you're not going to see a TCU emerge out of the SEC. There are too many talented football teams where TCU would take way more losses than what they could, obviously, in a, in a big you know 12 situation. Yeah, and I, we talked about this on our thread. You know, I think if Georgia is cooking the book, if you're not familiar with the storyline, there's the narrative out there that the rankings are being skewed towards Georgia for either nefarious reasons or maybe un, unconscious bias, if you want to like put that in there. But this would be important if, if you're like Kirby Smart year one. It's like, let me inflate these rankings so it looks I'm buying some momentum, right? They just won two championships. It doesn't matter. They're getting the results on the field. If their players are now inflated, that's going to show up in their win-loss record. But it's not. They're they're sending the guys to the NFL. They're dominating college football. So, yeah, if they're cooking the books, great. By all means, keep doing it. Whatever. It doesn't matter because you're, you're winning at a high enough rate that you can do whatever you want to do. Thoughts on cooking the any more thoughts on cooking the books? No, could be, could not be. It's possible Georgia's recruiting record is great for the past twenty five years, whether they cook them or don't cook them. Their players they put in the NFL, whether they're cooked or not cooked in the books, turn out to be really good. Yeah. So I mean it's maybe one thing if I think a lot of their players, Alan, really weren't good, right? At some point in time the quality of play is determinant. But yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff that goes on where certain guys are committed to Georgia and then they switch and they drop a star or whatever. And that that's weird. But all, again, what matters is the overall quality of your roster, however you're gauging it. Any gauge is useful if you've got a lot of data on it and it's somewhat accurate. And that's what's true here with these two, four, seven composite rankings, which is why we utilize them and uh, Florida doing very well. So really hang your hat on that. I think it's going to be something that if Florida's season doesn't go the optimistic way, perhaps it allows us to believe the future can still be bright. Well said. Okay. And just the last note there. Even if Florida's season went well, better than ex- expected, and we were in like tier three recruiting, I don't think anyone would be happy. No, that would be worse. That's kind of right. what I'm saying. This so, is much better for me, at least. This has to be in place no matter what the results on the field. Must And be. hopefully he does enough to not turn up the heat too much on himself. Correct. All right. Let's look at the schedule from just uh, 30,000 feet. Uh, we're going to go through it game by game in our season preview, but we did this last year and I thought it was helpful. Let me just read off the the games for us, and we'll kind of just look at that as a whole. Starting away at Utah on a Thursday night, and then three home games, McNeese State, Tennessee, then Charlotte. Away Kentucky, home Vanderbilt, away South Carolina. Then you've got Georgia uh, in Jacksonville. Home Arkansas, away LSU at the end of the year. That's a, that's a little twist in the schedule. Away Missouri, and then home for Florida State to close it. When you look at that schedule from this distance, how difficult does it seem to you? It seems it seems difficult because you have to compare this to other people's schedules. I think it's easy as a Florida fan to always look and say, okay, well, we've got Vanderbilt and Kentucky and South Carolina and Arkansas and Missouri. We can beat all of them, right? That's like the classic orange mm-hmm. and blue glasses scenario. You have to look at other people's schedule to gauge they don't have Utah and they don't have Florida State. They just don't. They don't have that. So that automatically makes it hard, right, in addition to the SEC. So I think the answer is the schedule is hard uh, with games that you could win, but this is a hard schedule. 
that's my first takeaway is this is not favorable for a roster that has a lot of issues. Um, and the closes, I think brutal. The closes. I brutal. think it's maybe the hardest finish I've seen for Florida in history that I can recall. And that's just off the cuff, but away, South Carolina, neutral, Georgia, home, Arkansas, away, LSU, away, Missouri, home, Florida state, dude, that's, that's, that's brutal. Yeah. Florida does not get a good start. And again, you have two cupcakes in the first four games. So you're, you're at worst going to be two and two heading into that Kentucky game, but that's just, you're right. It's rough. So this is a little bit similar to last year. There's some winnable games on the schedule, but there also is a ton of losable games on the schedule. Florida could lose almost all of these games except for the two cupcakes. Right. And five wins, four wins is on the table. If things go poorly, you could see Florida, if they put it together, getting climbing up to eight or nine, too. That's not out of the realm of possibility. So, again, like last year, a huge amount of variance. Florida was knocking on the door of eight and four and then dropped their last two to have a rough end to it. Um, yes, it, it's a, you know, traditionally you have one of those cupcake games right before Florida State, and this year they're going away Missouri. So that makes it just the pacing of the schedule more difficult from the jump. And starting off away, Utah is about as tough as it gets probably for an opener. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly one of the tougher ones Florida's had. We've had, you know, Michigan neutral, but this is an away game for a team that you beat last year. You kind of stole a game mm-hmm. from returning Cam Rising in all likelihood. Of course, the injury stuff is out there for him, and then he's commenting on it. What are you talking about? I'll be fine. But either way, this is tough. This is a tough schedule, and Florida's got a lot of question marks. And so I think a lot of Florida fans, and I'm I'm being too too reductive here, and perhaps doesn't you know exemplify you, but you think to yourself of the days when you had Spurrier or Urban, and you look at these schools and think we're so much better than Arkansas, Missouri, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, whatever. We're not. We are not so much better than them. We talked about it last year. We talked about how many coin flip games we had, and you see how many we lost. That's the reality of the world we live in right now. We have to be real with our program. And that's why this schedule is hard. Yeah, there were years where if we're Georgia, imagine that we're Georgia mm-hmm. this year, and then pull up Georgia's existing schedule. And this schedule would still be would still be hard for Georgia. That you you know, you're gonna beat most of these teams on paper pretty easily, but it's hard. There I mean, this this finisher again, there's not a break there, Alan. Georgia, Arkansas, LSU, Missouri, Florida State. There is not a week off. Those are five real football games. In a place you love to talk about at Missouri where Florida struggles mightily. Mm-hmm. And it's it's late. November Off the heels 18. of playing an LSU team away. I mean, dude. There's Florida. a lot where things can go really sideways with this schedule, and I think that's why Vegas has Florida at five and a half. Football teams are emotional as well, and if, if Vegas reoriented the schedule to where it was more favorable, you had some breaks, you lost a game, you could win a game, you don't get that snowball of momentum going against you. Florida could very easily drop five games in a row. Yeah, it's possible. That's it, absolutely possible. And again, narrative-wise, again, if you're Billy, and I'm sure we're going to have Scott on the show next week, spoiler alert, there's a real, real, real world that exists where Billy Navier has walked into the most unfavorable scheduling of any Florida football coach in the modern era. I mean, he has been dealt some bad hands here. This is another really tough scenario. You do not want to end your season on a sour note like you did last year. And this team could wind up playing really well, actually, and lose some heartbreaking games at the end where we tell you, look, this is not like last year. We played really well. It could happen. 
And the national takeaway is, man, Florida faded again. So this is a tough schedule. And this looks like kind of a cakewalk compared to next year's schedule. Right, which I have pulled up right now. So just for kicks, let's go through it because I know this is exciting, right? This is uh, that's, We're going to talk with Scott about this next week, so we're not going to get into it too much. But, again, for Billy Napier, who he has to play, he's got Miami opening up the season, Miami, Florida, then Samford, UCF, then Georgia, and then Florida State. Uh, these are the dates we know, right? Also, Kentucky, LSU, Old Miss, A&M, Mississippi State, Tennessee, and Texas. That's the hardest schedule I've ever even heard of. I mean, it's outrageous. Again, you have Miami, not Sanford. Miami, UCF, Georgia, Florida State, Kentucky, LSU, Old Miss, A&M, Mississippi State, Tennessee, Texas. UCF I mean, now Power 5. UCF. They're a good team. So you have Sanford. You have Sanford. You have one win. One. I think that might be the hardest schedule in college football history. At Texas, at Tennessee, at Mississippi State, at Florida State. I mean, Billy, again, he's in a world of no favors here. That home slate is unreal next year, though. It's unbelievable. It's, and I love it. Like we yes, talk, we, uh, We've said we this for years. We've wanted this. Like I would much rather take entertaining, assuming my team can get to be good, even if I can't win national titles. I want to have entertaining Saturdays. That's what I want. I don't get anything if Florida wins a national championship. I get nothing. I'm not on the team. I didn't do it. I had nothing to do with it. What I do get in my real life is entertaining football games on Saturdays. That's more fun to me. And right. maybe that's just me. I love the one cupcake schedule. I love it. I'm all about it. I'm here for it. It's amazing. It's going to be the start of the 12-team playoff as well. So you can <sighs> you can eat a couple losses and still be in the mix. It's going to be great, honestly. But that is brutal. So this schedule doesn't seem as exciting, but it's really tough for, this, for the 2023 Gators. That's for sure. All right. Um... Any other thoughts on the schedule? Any other thoughts on anything else? No, I think I think we do have thoughts, but we're going to save yeah, them in okay. future episodes. This was a nice primer. I like it. It was fun. All right, you want you already teased it a little bit. You want to? Yeah, next week we will have Scott on for his annual State of That's the Scott Union. Strickland. If you weren't, yep, Scott Strickland, athletic director of your Florida Gators. He will be on here in studio with us, and we will discuss all things as we do with Scott, Florida Gators. So, if you have any particular questions, you want to. Send to us. It won't be a mailback episode. We won't ask all of them. But if we see a consensus, certainly reach out to us on social media and we'll we'll try to hit the things you most want answered. So hit us up on social media, questions for Scott, and we will have a, a fireside chat, so to speak, with him where we really just address all the things. And there are a lot of things to talk mm-hmm. about. A lot of stuff has gone down if you're an athletic director here at Florida with regards to scheduling, et cetera, and whatever. Uh, and so we're really looking forward to that. And then it will be almost football season time. So we're getting close and we're stoked to be back with you, to be back in the driver's seat here where each and every week we'll be bringing you uh, in-depth content here on the Gators. And last but not least, of course, check out the merch. Let us know your thoughts. If you like it, don't like it, want something different, hit us up. We are here for you. Alan, any final thoughts from you here? No, this is really fun. Glad we got to do it. Yeah, great times. Great to be back with you. Have a great rest of your day, wherever you are, night, morning, and uh, enjoy the rest of this last week here in July. And we'll see you next week.